0: welcome to the spiritual geek out podcast i'm your host diane hudock where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating from angels to energy healing from mystical places to mystical teachings this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul My guest today is Ira Israel. He is a psychotherapist and an author of the book, How to Survive Your Childhood Now That You're an Adult, A Path to Authenticity and Awakening. He teaches sold out workshops in happiness and authenticity at Eslin Institute and Kripalu, and has written over 400 articles on psychology, philosophy, Buddhism, yoga, film, art, music, and literature for such offerings as the Huffington Post, Good Men Project, Mind Body Green, Thrive Global, and others. He's also the producer, writer, and instructor of the best-selling series, Authenticity and Awakening for Lovable Idiots, A Beginner's Guide to Happiness, A Beginner's Guide to Mindfulness Meditation, Mindfulness for Depression, Mindfulness for Anxiety, and Yoga for Depression and Anxiety. He's a graduate from the University of Pennsylvania and has graduate degrees in psychology, philosophy, and religious studies. I'm so thrilled to have him on the podcast. We go deep, we cover a lot of territory, and I hope you enjoy. You were in a car accident at um, in 1985. Right. And um I just want to jump right into the pot because I love in your book where you share the story about reconstructing the story or stories of our life. Mm-hmm. And you talk about being in, um, this workshop, like one of these transformational workshops that many of us have been in. And, um, you're telling your story about this horrific car accident and how you almost died. And the guy sitting across from you and your sort of triage or your, you know, counseling facilitator client. And he says, no, you weren't. And you repeat yourself and he says, no, you weren't. And he said, no, no, seriously, my, like my femur was smashed. My face was like every which way to, you know, and, um, it was, it was a near death experience. I almost died. And he's like, no, you didn't. You were in a car accident and everything else you added. Yeah, And I would love for you to just go into this because to me, this to me is a very important starting off point. Um, because it demonstrates the power of our stories right. and how our stories construct or, um, uh, shape our perceptual reality. Right. And, and, also, how, go I'm
1: sorry, and also how they enroll other people in a, a particular reality. There's a huge distinction between, uh, I was almost killed in a car accident if we're just sitting in a cafe talking, like all of a sudden you're going to have empathy and sympathy, like, oh my God, or there was a car accident. You know, there's, right. a, there's so re- language creates reality. Right. And you have to choose... Uh, how you want reality to be. Um, and most of us are just on autopilot and we don't realize that we're just every second of the day creating rather than accepting. And that's one of the reasons like you and I teach like be proactive in your life.
0: Yeah. And- yeah, and uh, and thank you for that. And you know, when when that guy said that to you and he's like, no, you weren't. you just add everything else. And you were just in a car accident. Like, what was your first thought? Were you like, "He's right," or were you like, "Hold on a minute, I got to think about this. I'll get back to you." No, it's really.
1: I'll tell you really something. We ascribe intentionality, and we we do so falsely. Meaning that um, in in that same workshop, the guy uh, shouted at me, "Car accident! Car accident! Car accident!" The driver of the car did not wake up that day and say, I'm going to be in an accident and hurt Ira Israel, right? Like, And so we're like, oh, that's a bad person and this thing. It's an accident, you know? So um, don't ascribe false intentionality.
0: Mm, Powerful. Yeah, and then the sort of second half of that is that you went and – or I think the the other guy in the car – uh, reached out to you, I think, over Facebook some years later, right? yeah, well, um, I,
1: I I'm so sorry I, I I had taken a compassion workshop at Cal Berkeley with Fred Luskin and um Rick Hansen. and so i I contacted the driver of the car through Facebook. It was actually twenty five years later. Right. and um and i and I wanted to try on something new, okay. So, so um you know and I and I try to do that with all my patients now because we don't realize how uh you know we're going through life with blinders on and if we don't test our own uh comfort margins we'll we'll never we'll never grow and we'll never learn.
0: Mhm. Well what do you do to test your comfort margins? What do you do? Um,
1: me I try something new I try uh, all the time but like I, I mean you know, I try to <laughs> this is maybe this is too simplistic I, 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 I will i tried um boxing for the first time two years ago i tried tennis for the first time uh, last year i tried swimming for the first time this year and so and i try to just have particular um i don't know what to call them rituals or mm-hmm. um, practices and um i know that um you know from everything that i've been studying that you can't aim at being happy. The only thing you can do is create the most uh, propitious uh, preconditions. And then hopefully, you know, happiness is a byproduct, It's not, right. a, it's not an actual goal. So um, I'm trying just to keep myself up at the high end of my happiness spectrum. And I do that through a series of practices and also trying new things and new situations and, you know, going outside of my comfort zone and making phone calls to people who might tell me to screw off or, you know, just, you know, just showing up and trying to be authentic,
0: mm-hmm. keeping it fresh and yeah. keeping yourself um, sort of uh, you're always in that sort of potential or uh, space of opportunity to release, which is uh, some, some bits of that. You're really talking about Vedanta in my opinion, you know,
1: yeah. for me, it's about cultivating a sense of wonder and for um I learned about Vedanta uh, when I was doing a a master's degree in religious studies at UCSB. And um, it explained to me a lot of the things that I had studied in what we call parapsychology, which is, you know, something out's para is beyond. So Mm -hmm. we, we, we can't explain the fact that like we can send and receive mental faxes that we can tap into source or what do you want to call it? The matrix or the field. And if I, if I wanted to, you know, I could remote view, or I could, you know, experience a lot of other things. We just think in this scientific model. And I think that during the enlightenment science throughout, um, throughout the baby with the bath water, meaning mm-hmm. that if we can't put it on a scale and measure it, then it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And, and we're coming around to see that, um, as David Chalmers says, the, one of the foundations of our reality should be consciousness. Now mm-hmm. the question is, how do you, how do you define that? And what are the properties? And then, the, then, for people like you and me, like, how does that relate to spirituality? You know, if I can see right now close my eyes and see something on the other side of the world or, or on Pluto or on, you know, on another planet, like, what is that? What does that mean? You know, and can you have both science and spirituality?
0: That's a great, great question. It's like, can you have both science and spirituality? I mean, I I I think I think you can, but spirituality has not caught up. Uh, it's, excuse me, science has not caught up with spirituality because to me, consciousness by definition is not fixed, it's not rigid, it's not stayed. It it's ever changing, it's always in a state of expansion. And so even on your worst day, you're actually still evolving. You're yep. still essentially expanding because you're in a state of evolving, even though you feel like you're contracting and imploding inwardly, you know, you're, you're, there's um, entropy going inward, you know, there, there's not centropic action, you know, so, so, but consciousness, I mean, consciousness is who we are. We're, right. we're in consciousness. Consciousness isn't in us. Right. That's how I see it.
1: And for me, uh, it was explained to me best and relating this back to your first question regarding the car accident. Um, I, you know, cause I was on this search for like the meaning of life or why things happen or basically narcissistically, like why was I in this car accident Yeah. and, um, Alan Wallace at uh, UCSB and rabbi Eitan at the Kabbalah center on Robertson both said, um, probability waves. Like, so there's infinite things occurring right now in the universe. And there's a probability wave where uh, an elephant falls from the sky and crushes me right now. Now that probability wave, uh, the the probability of that wave collapsing is very low. There'd have to be an airplane in the sky carrying an elephant and and all these things. But uh, the probability of me uh, sitting here talking to you, having a podcast is very high. But it's the, the problem really is that human consciousness is incredibly arrogant. And we think that we can know things when actually, you know, we know 0.1% of what's occurring right now. We're, we're so limited. And then we have this thing called science, which is like, we can explain the universe and we can know things and we'll go to Mars and this weighs this. But I always, uh, I say, in my class, like, and and everyone in my class has gone to Harvard, Yale, MIT, Stanford. And I say, okay, raise your hand if you can explain gravity. And the people are smart enough to know like that. Nobody knows how gravity works. You know, Einstein has E equals MC squared. There's a formula to calculate it, but we don't know really why we don't fly off the earth. Like,
0: (laughs) it's like, you know, if you're standing on your roof and you say jump, you're like, no, thanks.
1: Right.
0: I I, I got gravity. (laughs) Right. Good. but All free choice, not free will, thank you. We
1: don't have a system, like we think that science explains things, but we we don't know how that magnet in the center of the earth correlates with what's going on on the moon and Jupiter and all these other things in its planetary system so that it pulls water, like, like females, I think menstruate in a 29.3 day cycle, the tides go around and the, the tides go in and out and the moon, but nobody has a there's correlations, but there no one has um ascertained um causality. And that to me is fascinating because there's some kind of force going on. And if you want to go back into parapsychology, you know, there were, I don't know if they it's been debunked or not, but um a lot of hospitals used to keep calendars on their um and calendar. Hospitals and police stations used to keep calendars on their walls. And when there was a full moon, they knew that they would have more patients or more criminals because there's something that happens with the, you know, the cycles in our bodies and the water. But we don't know what it is. And it's not scientific. So and I don't even know if it's uh, accurate anymore, but I know people study that.
0: Yeah, people do. And I I need to get someone on here that that is like just living for that stuff. But I delivered my son during a full moon and during an earthquake, mind you, which was the building shook. I thought that was like super. I was like, Oh, that's his that's spirit. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> talk about narcissism. my God. But um, that's my, no,
1: spirit. no, no, no. I'm sure you so know how to shake make the earth shake. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, he brings this energy with him through my womb. But, um, but yeah, so I, I gave birth during a full moon and, and uh, most uh, more, more women give birth during full moons. Wow. Yeah. Here's another little um, ditty. I just found out from a client the other day, cause we were talking about breathing that, you know, we, when we do alternate nasal breathing right. in yoga, we're helping to balance the right and left hemispheres of the brain, you know, do things with the vagus nerve, yada, yada, yada. But what's so interesting is that we as a collective during full moons, we will all sort of sync up in our nasal cavity so that we will all be sort of breathing at the same rate or wow. the same openness or degree of fortitude or something because you know throughout your day you'll notice that one nostril is a little bit more open than the other and some people say well it has to do with the cycles of the day just like the seasons oh, yeah. of the year right and then there's different energies like in ayurveda throughout the day But then there's the collective, there's like the magnetic energy, the collective energy Mm -hmm. that's picking up this sort of gravitational pull where it's actually there's someone that found, that discovered this, has been researching this. I have to find out who it is and get them on the show. For,
1: for me, if when I, I- teach uh, Nadi Shodhana, what I teach is, I, I mean, this might be too far out there, but I relate it to Carl Jung and Anama and Anamas. So you have a male part of your body and a female, a, fem- a male side and a female side, Anama and Anamas. And so the Nadi Shodhana was developed to balance the male and female energies. hmm
0: hmm yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so- you know, you think about metaphors or things like the Ark of the Covenant, like, well, what is the Ark? And some teachers will say, well, that's really, there is no Ark. It's actually a metaphor for the male and the female coming together. Yeah. So, awesome. you know, when we sync up in our nasal cavities, maybe it's us as a, I mean, I'm going out on a limb, but why not? It's the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. That's what we exactly. do here. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'd like to just back it up a little bit and, and kind of just share with us, Ira, how you, what, what was the sort of kicking off point or what led you down the spiritual path? A lot of times when I ask people this very basic question, it's not uncommon that people that have been on the spiritual path or are drawn towards spirituality in general, it's because there was some, um, you know, event like yeah. they were sick or they almost died or they were in right. a car accident or their parents got divorced. Like, was there something for you or was it just like a natural kind of, this is who I am? In oh moment? no.
1: Um, so eight, eight years after the car accident, um, I had been studying philosophy and I lived in Paris. Um, and then when I moved to Paris in 91, I uh, went to the movies every day and because I just fell in love with um, the way they dramatize, like the Sturm und and Tong And it was a great way to learn French. And I just fell in love with movies. So then um, in 94, I went to Thailand on vacation. And uh, I'm six feet tall. And when I was exiting a bathroom stall, I walked at full gate into the doorframe and cracked open the top of my head. And this was on the island of Koh Samui. They had just gotten like their first fax machine and just had, you know. So we're at this place called The Spa, which still exists. um, And, my friend and I were sitting there and I, my, my eyes were fluttering back in my head. I had a concussion and I said to this woman, uh, excuse me, I, um, if I'm not my normally chipper self, but I just cracked my head on the door and she said, let me heal you. And I said, no, thank you. I don't believe in witchcraft. And she, and my friend like nudged me and she said, uh, go ahead. I want to see her heal you. Like it was a big joke to us, you know, cause we were just like these sophisticated Parisians, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, she laid me down on this table and she put her hands over me and she started to, um, it was really, I can't explain it. Um, I mean, at the end of the day she called it Reiki, but she never touched me. And she just, um, had, she's like, okay, I found it. And, um, I watched sweat bead on her lip for about 20 minutes and I felt what felt like kind of static electricity. Mm-hmm. And then she said, okay, it's shut off. And I said, what's shut off? And she said the energy. And I touched the wound and the only word I have for it is cauterized. It was like, it was, it was sealed in some way. And then she went down my body and told me all these crazy things that she couldn't know otherwise about my life. And, um, and uh, I ended up spending uh, 10 days there doing a fast and uh, it set me studying Buddhism and Hinduism and uh, Kabbalah and yoga and meditation. So that was the point when going to Asia in 1994 and getting hurt there and then having a woman heal me with her hands.
0: You had to get like that metaphorical or literal like pan, like yeah. over your hit over your head so you could just... Be like, I'm okay, I'm I'm gonna get, get on, I'm gonna get on this train now.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's
0: that's that's pretty cool. Well, let's kind of segue, take a big sharp left turn into Vedanta land, because I'd love for you to talk about that. I might just add that in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna said that Vedanta is the greatest of secrets. So that's a big statement. Why
1: do you think this is? Well, I, um, I'm going to attribute that after I explain it to the prefrontal cortex, but I'll explain bra- um, uh, Vedanta in five terms and then how yoga and meditation um evolved to uh, as tools and then i'll go back to the prefrontal cortex and tell you the the problem um that humans have assimilating vedanta so the first term is brahman and the best translation i've heard of that word is that without attributes meaning that if you can think it it's not it Like there's no, if I say, imagine infinity, what you'll get is what Wittgenstein called like a placeholder. Like you'll imagine the sea or you'll imagine the cosmos or something, but it's not infinity. Human beings cannot imagine infinity, right? Right. So Brahman, you can think of as the matrix or everythingness or God or the infinite, but if you can imagine it, it's not it. Then the second term is Atman. And the best translation I've heard for that is soul. Actually, all the the translations um, that use capital S self, like I think of as higher self. I mean, it's technically self, but it's like a higher self for your soul. The third term is samsara, which is the wheel of reincarnation. Um, Dr. Ian Stevenson at the University of Virginia, I think he died about six years ago, documented thousands of cases of children who remember their past lives. And, you know, his holiness is an example. And there's a good explanation of why most people don't um, remember their their past lives in um, Sojil Rinpoche's book, The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. Um, But samsara is uh, a part of uh, the. And then the fourth term is Maya, uh, which is um, uh, illusory. I like, I don't like illusion because illusion is like, oh, that's just an illusion, but illusory has this, um, this, taste of ephemerality like uh, as in buddhism like everything is passing like you know well so, in your
0: book you say that uh, which i thought is worth mentioning is that you and i actually like this because we think of maya as being illusory it's like the illusions or even maybe the delusions but um you say in your book that it's actually if i'm correct it's actually all our perceptions and experience yes. and what we perceive and then thus, well what we perceive is limited because it's just by what we're perceived by perceiving itself it's limited
1: and besides the five senses the five senses our mind chunks things into narratives right and that too is a part of maya so if you know if you if you're if you're thinking it if you're feeling it it's ephemeral it's maya it's it's passing yeah Um, and then the fifth term everybody knows is karma which is the law of action and reaction so yoga Well, firstly, meditation and then yoga and then the way we use it as a moving meditation, they were devised and designed to help you transcend Maya so that you can realize that Atman, your self or soul equals Brahman. And this is all of the Upanishads, all the Upanishads, the poetry and the beauty in there is indicating that you are the universe that you are god that you are pure spirit whatever the term is that they, that is used in the various upanishads so vedanta to me is quite simple and the problem really is the prefrontal cortex in that we can't hold opposite ideas uh in the mind at the same time you have uh you know you can taste uh when you meditate or or do yoga the nectar of the divine and you 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 know, that's why I disagree with the term enlightenment when we could talk about this. I use the term awakened. So you can taste enlightenment, but you, I believe rather in moksha, being liberated from mm-hmm. the wheel of samsara at the end of your life, rather than, you know, walking around like you're some kind of holy person, you know, and I, I make a joke, I think in the book, but definitely in, in podcasts and things I say, if anyone ever comes up to you and tells you that they're enlightened, you should run a mile, you yes, know, that, sure. that person's a psychopath. And, you know his, his holiness there,
0: anyone has reached moksha that is still embodied
1: no 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 you would be liberated and i and that's why there's a prophecy that there's only 14 dalai lamas and that, he, that his holiness is you know he is is elderly right now it was just his birthday and um he i think he'll i, I don't think he's going to reincarnate i think he's i think he's going to you know he he did what he came to do which was essentially um uh, teach the, the the West that compassion is more important than the competition of capitalism. Yeah, amen. Uh, so um, I think that we, you know, like we should really, um, you know, I, 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 whenever <laughs> people say, "Are you enlightened?" He always answers, "I am a simple Buddhist monk." <laughs> you know,
0: it, it, it's and that's just so true. Like the greatest teachers that most of us will ever meet. They say very little. I mean, we could just go with like Guruji from you know Ashtanga, right? And, and it's like, what what is he famous for saying? You know, do your practice and all is coming, or just do your practice period, walk away, figure that one out.
1: I always uh, tell this one story. I was teaching in Boston, and this um, addiction specialist came up to me, and I was about the impact we have on each other's lines, lives, uh, and so. Um, he, There's that adage, a butterfly flaps its wings in Peru and there's an earthquake in Osaka. And that's all part of Vedanta also. But this gentleman came up to me and he said... I just taught this whole lecture on, you never know what impact you have on other people, like until sometime later. So you should always, that should inspire you to be your highest self. So he told this story about uh, getting a phone call and a guy called him and he said, hey, uh, you saved my life 30 years ago. Um, can I take you to lunch? And he said, sure. So uh, they go out to lunch and the guy tells him all these things he's been doing for 30 years. And the addiction specialist, at the end of the meal, he goes, you know, um, I have to confess something like, I, I, I don't, I don't ever remember meeting you. How, how did I save your life? And he said, well, when I walked into my first meeting, you put your hand on my shoulder and said, you're going to be okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that 30 years later, he called him, and he said, and he said, you, you, you saved my life. One sentence. Wow. So like, you know, you and I, were are going to go into Whole Foods later. We're going to be driving. We're going to be interacting with people. And we don't know, you know, like, like if you believe in, t- in what I talked about in terms of probability waves collapsing, like why things happen. But you always just have to show up as your highest self. And, um, you know, uh, just hope that you have some good karma. You've, <laughs> you've attained some good karma in your past lifetimes and that, um, all of those things converging in that moment, um, it conspires for your greatness.
0: Mm. Well, I'm thinking about your accident and this sort of second half of that story that we didn't really get into, but I think it kind of applies when you talk about the probability wave. It's like, Yeah. You know, you say to this guy on Facebook that you reconnect with some 25 years later, and you, you know, you're talking about I the guy who had survivor guilt because he was in the backseat. In the, the guy back-
1: yeah, the guy in the backseat had uh well, it was really that was so, such an interesting thing because you know, your mind you don't your mind creates these narratives, and I, I don't talk about this often, but um he, you know, when when that guy in the backseat seat call, called me and said, you know, I've always had this um this, this, this um, thought that it could have been me who had to spend the two years in the, in the hospital in and out having all the surgery. And then I, and then it really stuck with me that he thought that. And so I called him back later and I'd been teaching mindfulness and touring and doing all these things. And just to alleviate his survivor's guilt, I, I, and this is what your first question was in your email to me, like how to own your life. And I said, no, Mike, it couldn't have been you. Like it had, it had to be me. It was supposed to be me. I'm supposed to have these scars on my face. I'm supposed to have this discomfort in my leg. Like you're supposed to be Mike and you're, and he had, just, um, uh, adopted two Chinese kids and he was doing all these wonderful things. And, and you know, like maybe he would have died in the car accident and then those Chinese kids, you know, would never been adopted. So that's what I mean by owning your life. You know, your mind does these woulda, coulda, shoulda, didn't. So, oh, I'd be happy now. If my parents didn't get divorced, I'd be happy now. If I won the lottery, I'd be happy now. If I went to Yale, those things didn't happen. You have to accept everything that does happen and then look at your mind and, 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 and take out those, um, not, I'm so sorry, not take out, but replace those woulda, coulda, shoulda, didn'ts with, with gratitude, you know, you you know, like I'm just grateful I'm here today. I mean, I think it's a miracle that I'm 55 years old. I like, and I I just went uh, right before this, I swam for an hour. And so when I, when I'm sitting there in the pool and think about, oh, you know, a doctor was called in to amputate my leg or just like, you know, most human beings who were born never reached the age of 40. So for me, just like uh, we had this meal last night, Um, there were eight of us. We all met at the Esalen Institute. I was teaching and we just all called each other and had this lovely meal. And I was just looking around and at these people who I'd met a month ago. And I was like, it doesn't get any better than this.
0: Hmm. Yeah, in your you guys are like meant to be there, knowing each other the way you are. Laws of probability prove it. And uh,
1: <laughs> exactly. Every,
0: yeah, that's that's yeah that that's that's so cool. Well, you know, you talk a lot about how what well, in your book how you say many of us would not know who we were or no, would not know who we are if right. we. Um, uh, gave up our resentments. Exactly. And I can so relate to that. Or, and I, I kind of, in my mind, as I go into sort of the rhetoric of that, it's just, um, I hear judgments because yeah. it's really the judgments or, or, or the resentments or the restrictions or the positioning or whatever word you want to put in there. And, um, cause when I first read that, I was like, you know, well, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We know who we are if we gave up our resentments. We but it's like, well, we're so, we've been so attached to our story.
1: Our okay? grievance stories.
0: Our grievances, our, our judgments, our you know, our victimization, our our why, me's and shoulda, coulda, woulda's, like you said. But I do think that we can we can heal that. Yes. And you say actually, I, I, I I don't know if I'm challenging you with this because I think we're saying the same thing because you talk a lot about forgiveness in your book, which I love. And it's like the creme de la creme, of course, for healing. But you say the hack is authenticity. And when I was reading that, I was like, well, wait, isn't the hack forgiveness? But are you saying the hack is to get to see if like if you're when I see, when I read you say the hack is authenticity? I think we're saying saying the same thing because when I read that, I go, oh, he's kind of talking about when we're in our role-playing, when we're in our masking, when we're in our, if I'm not in my authenticity and you say like you, an insult to me, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to eat that like, you know, like a shitty sandwich and, and I'm going to digest it and I'm going to make it true. But if I'm in my authenticity, if I'm in my loving, if I'm in like my baseline, you know, moving into that Brahmic nature, then you can say whatever you're going to say. And I can just look at you from that sort of neutral, loving observation, or at least neutrality and just see you insulting me.
1: <laughs> well, the way I frame it is that there's a wounded child in inside of all of us. <clears throat> Our primary desire is to be loved unconditionally and we grew up in this crazy society which only gave us tools to gain love conditionally because we speak because we speak well because we went to good schools because we drive fancy cars and vacation in cool places and all those feed into resentment because we're essentially seducing people into liking our outer selves and then resenting them for not loving our inner selves which we didn't show them which is a conundrum
0: yeah
1: that's what's really interesting so um, regarding authenticity as I say, it's the only like panacea or it's your best chance. You know, I break it down into attachment, atonement, attunement, presence, and congruence. So, um, the atonement part where the tool is forgiveness atonement is, um, Releasing your resentments about things you can't change, excel, you know, owning your past, so that you can realize your 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 wholeness. And the way I teach this at, at Esalen is I do a visualization, of, a meditation, where. Um, essentially prove to people that you are not your thoughts, whatever can watch your thoughts is your Atman, your higher self, you know, uh, mystery nirvana, your soul. I, it doesn't matter what you want to call it, but you're like, we're, we, we have this weird addiction to thinking and, it's so limited you know it's really um it, it, you know it's it's i want i the, the word is poisonous in some way you know look at look at all the horrible things that you just pick up a paper today and the things that people are saying and all the acrimony and bitterness and people dying needlessly and you know 3.5 billion people living on a dollar 90 a day and the rest oh, of the people yeah. flying to the fucking moon for no reason i mean how could you fly to the moon if you knew that at like three point five billion people were going to go hungry tonight.
0: I am so with you on that. It's like you know, we, so, could, yeah. we could, we could, we could wrap this whole Easily. thing up in a day. Same thing with the ocean. We I could know. wrap that up in a day. We have the technology. I know. Why aren't we doing that? I mean, I don't know. Is it? Are they like being like you know? Is it? Have the aliens come down and taken over their brains? I don't know. At this point, sure, why not? Because it's so. Well, insane. this was our conversation so
1: beforehand. Like power corrupts, and I and I, you know, and then Lord Acton said uh, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So all of our systems have become corrupted. And, and, you know, the people who started uh, Monsanto, I I can give the example. The engineers there had wonderful intentions in 1973 when McDonald's said to them, hey, we can't make the the wheat the same consistency uh, in Alaska as Florida. And that was basically like the birth of like Roundup and all these things that cause cancer and horrible and made Monsanto a terrible company. But the actual intentions, just like Mark Zuckerberg, who is like going down as like our culture's Darth Vader right now, today. Like like when he was sitting there stealing the idea for Facebook from all all of his roommates at Harvard, like it was still like a cool, well, that that actually the judging part of it and the the rating thing was pure evil. But like in general, to have people be able to connect, like I connected with the driver of the car accident from, you know, from 25 years, like the ability to, uh, you know, find people, you know, from our past, and to enter into groups, you know, it's a wonderful idea. Unfortunately, you know, Cambridge Analytica and all the things that have transpired in the past eight years show that power corrupts and that when you have the ability to, you know, uh make money, people will choose that over like their their um. Their their higher purposes
0: hmm. makes me think of that quote from Jesus when he said, "What shall it profit a man if right. he shall um, gain the whole world and or and lose his soul?" Totally. I think we were talking about resentments, and mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to um, mention something that you that kind of is a part of healing our resentments, at least communicating our pains and our judgments of uh, dissolving those judgments through the process of healthy communication, which I think is, that's a whole course in and of itself, Ira, like you, I'm sure I would imagine you could and would teach a course on healthy communication, or maybe we'll do it together someday, but but, you know, in your book, you talk about that Marshall Rosenberg's um,
1: nonviolent communication.
0: Yeah. And I just wanted the listeners to hear this because I think it's a really great, um, thing for people to hear if they are not aware of it and it basically goes like this it's i feel right and then you the feeling state the feeling state now why don't you take us through that well, the
1: reason it works is because if you um stab me in my right rib cage every uh, muscle in my body would contract <laughs> like that and if you stab me with the same force in my left rib cage a second later the knife would bounce off because your your muscles contract to fight that off and that's a great analogy for what the human mind does so if i tell you oh that's a horrible white t-shirt you're wearing everything i say after that like you're not going to hear so uh marshall rosenberg like flipped the switch on that and he um makes people own a feeling state. I feel blank, a feeling state, when an observation, you say like when there are dishes in the sink, and then you write, then then the, the next part is because I need, and you write um, uh, like an emotional or psychological need, like I need order, or I need respect, or I need to feel that we're a team, or I, I need... And then the last part is you make a request in the future. Could you please not leave the dirty dishes in the sink? So I obviously it's a banal example, but like when you get into the heart of, um, of being partners with somebody, the more you blame them, the less they'll hear you. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is you want to own your own emotional experience and then inspire them to do the same.
0: Mm-hmm. The thing that's uh, coming forward for me when we're talking about this is sort of, I hear this a lot from my female clients, where they say, it's not what he says, right? it's how he says it, right? So wow. I hear, I can imagine some of my p- women that I counsel, and if I gave this to them, in the future, would you please, if they heard their husband knowing their sort of history with their partner and their partner not being the greatest sort of tonal, <laughs> uh, compa- matching that tonal frequency of compassion or sweetness. It's like in the future, would you mind? Okay. Cause you know, it's like, oh. no, there's a, there's a, more to it than just... Well, there was a
1: study done in 1973 at UCLA, and I forget the gentleman's name, but um, uh, he, his theory is that 93% of all communications are nonverbal. Mm-hmm. So in the book I write, um, mirror neurons do not fire via text message. We really need to connect with other people and and then that's why um, attunement is uh, an essential part of being authentic, being able to validate your partner's emotional experience. And that's what psychotherapists are trained to do, right? We're trained to, you know, unconditional positive regard if you're a Rogerian and you, you know, the person comes in, they could be speaking another language, you know, they and your partner could be, you know, I, I make people when, they, when they're when uh, they um, multilingual speak other languages in couples to each other and then reflect back like with the same facial affect, with the same, like the, the position of their spine, I'm watching, their feet, because your body language is is so important and then yeah at, people can be sarcastic which i think is a defense mechanism or use tone in a way to convey that they're smarter supposedly or you know there's something about it and they can be haughty like in the example that you just gave so yeah marshall rosenberg um, uh, did not account for that but i think that um, when couples come in and you teach them non communications they understand that, like right? they really have to mirror the other person's um, affect and their tone, and there's no benefit to being snarky or uh, or haughty.
0: Mm. Just as a sort of side note, I'm kind of thinking about. All the kids or all the human beings, forget just children, all of us that um, have been walking around for the past year and a half with masks and how that is not allowing um, mirror neurons to fire. And what is that doing to brains, especially the brains that are in a state of growth and development? It's awful
1: no, it's really strange. I mean, there was, I, I was just in Paris and someone told me about, uh, a colleague told me about a study, how, um, uh, different people in different cultures were learning to convey things with their eyes. Like, cause, cause you have to smile yeah. if you're interacting with people or they normally they'll think you're a jerk. So we try to do that, you know, just by creasing up our eyes you know, um, uh, exponentially more than we just like smong with our our lips. So some people have 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 learned how to do that, but I think that this whole mask situation is really detrimental. And I actually have a clear like plastic mask. No, um, I was just for, ask you that. Yeah, from when I was um, teaching uh, and had to wear a mask, I had a, a, a plexiglass one.
0: I mean, uh, we won't go into the politics of it, but you know, anybody can just look up. Fauci's lovely unfoldment and someone put a beautiful video together of his sort of changing trajectory of like, masks absolutely do not work. You know, wear a mask if you want, but they don't do anything. It's proven. We've done Harvard studies, Yale studies. And then he's like, yeah, I wear a mask. I'd wear two masks if I were you. Uh, you It's just like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Um, Shut it down. Anyway, um, not to mention uh, there's been studies where they put a device up to the mask to show how quickly we lose oxygen to the brain in one minute just by covering the nose. And And uh, also
1: I think that most of the masks um, and the way people wear them are inefficacious or too useless, you know? So, I mean, you have to have the, what is it, the N95? I have one that's right. And it has to be worn. Fitted to your face. Yeah. Yeah. so.
0: Anyway, we're uh, going
1: through very interesting times. We,
0: we are the, the insanity rests and the humor sits. So <laughs> which direction do you want to go? I know let's talk about you studying parapsychology at Duke. Now that's a subject I want to go into. And just to kind of bring it back to the guy at university of Virginia that was studying parapsychology yes. with kids and past lives. You know, my son had experiences. Um, oh, as really? A child, yeah. When he was uh, when he was uh, four, four to, uh, and as this this I forget the guy's name at University of Virginia.
1: Ian Stevenson.
0: Ian Stevenson, right? Where I believe he says these u- things usually end these episodes by six when you know we right. start kind of getting out of this.
1: Well, I have a theory about that. Oh, you I think,
0: do. Okay. Yeah. I think
1: that language acquisition, like because there are certain tribes in Africa that could communicate by by clicks. And I actually think that they can, they're doing more telepathy. And I think that, you know, uh English has a million words. I think it actually has probably like 1.2 million words because we're making them so fast right now. And um I think that language acquisition and for Ian Stevenson, the age was about eight or or eight or nine. But the more language you learn, like it squashes out all of your telepathic and uh, other abilities that we consider paranormal right now.
0: Wait, wait a second. The more language we learn, it squashes out, it's like taking up space for those higher sensory. Perceptions.
1: Right. So, yeah, yeah, that's what stop that's my. Talking. Well, <laughs> stop, stop learning words. Stop you know?
0: learning <laughs> words, right? Oh my god, that, that's. What, I that's think there's
1: an inverse correlation between language acquisition and uh, what we consider to be paranormal um, activity.
0: Wow, that is fascinating. Okay, so yeah, so my my son when he was around. Gosh, I'd say, I think it was mostly around four or five. He, um, he loved fire engines like most boys do, but he loved them so much that we had to visit the fire station at least once a week for a good year, or he'd just wow. go ballistic. And he would get under a fire engine and he would describe parts of a fire engine I didn't even know existed. And he couldn't really read these. I've never given him a book where he would read these things before. And I remember he would under a fire truck one time pointing some things out to this fireman. And he said, oh, did your mom teach you that? He goes, no, I I used to be a fireman.
1: Whoa. Yeah, for me the most fascinating there were cases that Ian Stevenson researched, there were 11 cases of children who had birthmarks that resembled the wounds from the previous incarnations.
0: Uh huh. Like
1: one guy had um this birthmark in the in his chest, and then this splayed birthmark in his back, and he and he had claimed that he would, had been shot, like as a as like a three or four year old, he was claimed that he was shot by his brother, and Ian Stevenson like went to, I think like this Lebanese city hall and he found this case in like 1911 of this guy being shot in his chest by his brother. And it was pretty, uh, eerie.
0: I had an experience with a woman, Charmian Redwood to add to that. And, uh, she's been on my podcast. She takes you through this process of past life regression and finding your Lemurian family and all that. And I had many, many dreams about being in the Holocaust and being killed. And I was like, was I a Jewish person or was I like one of these, like, you know, good Gentiles that were helping humanity and like, this is insane. Let's save people. And, um, and uh, that's not really clear, but I had a lot of, I mean, I'm talking hundreds of dreams that I would go to a therapist about it and try to make sense of it. And then I went to this pretty well-known past life guy and he, <laughs> it was like a thousand dollars for like 15 minutes. He's like, yeah, you were in the Holocaust. You got shot in the head, you move on. It's not going to happen again. You know? And I was like, oh, here you go. And, uh, but when I went through this past life, uh, regression hypnosis. It was this experience of me going through as a little girl in like Dachau and they, I was witness to all these experiments and I was this sort of feisty, you know, stuck up for myself. I didn't, they didn't like, that. they didn't have any fear. Wow. And then I and I and this Nazi guy said, you know what, I'm gonna make you be afraid. And I said, you will never make me be afraid. And I said, even if you shoot me in the head. And he said, turn around and like look at the, you know, the pit, like where all these, you know, people were shot. And he, I had this experience in this past life where he shot me in the head and I fell into the pit. And then I saw myself go up and kind of go into, you know, this other dimension. Now the really interesting part about that to me is I was born with a perfect circle at the top of my head and it's a birthmark. And at that, yes. And that circle in the back of my head, I have, you know, like, Reddish, dark brown hair. I have never grown color. It was always a gray strip, like oh. Bonnie Raitt. And I used to cover it up as a kid because I was embarrassed because there was no like color in that hair. It was like literally like a rabbit's tail, like uh, you know, like he uh, yeah. was like it's Bonnie amazing. Raitt. Yes. Yeah, so and um, and and people, you know, teachers along the way would say, "Oh, you were like shot in the head." And I was like, "Okay." and then it wasn't until actually fairly recently when i had this experience that all the pieces like got like gestalted back together yeah. again
1: So that, and that's what I was saying in the beginning, in terms of science throwing out the baby with the bathwater, because you know, scientifically, you know, if you go to somebody in the middle of the country, like I've been going for acupuncture for thirty years, and if you say to a Western scientist, "Could you draw the meridian system?" He would say, "Well, I can't because it doesn't exist." And in China, it existed for five thousand years. So we have to understand that, like Western science, is a system and it's very limited. And when I talk about a woman healing me you know my wound with reiki healing or you talk about you know this silver streak where you think you might have been shot in in the past life you know it's it's unscientific so like how do we um, reconcile living in a scientific capitalistic quote unquote democratic society with like these these paranormal beliefs that you and i have
0: how do we reconcile we just have to kind of make peace with what is, well, this actually just makes me think of, again, the sorry audience, because there's a little bit of regurgitation going on on my part, because I often talk about direct experience. And I say, you can never question direct experience. And this just brings me back again. Well, it's our direct experience. So no, I can't prove any of that. I can't prove right. that I, I don't know who I was in a past life. And uh, I'm not, apparently not meant to know you know, to a certain degree. I'm meant to know to the degree I'm meant to know, meaning right. I'm not going to go find it in a library unless I'm meant to go find it. But even then, how do we prove that? You know, we could prove it if we're meant to prove it, like the kid that went with Dr. Stevenson to uh, the Isle of Man, or is oh, it yeah. Isle of Man, or where did he go? Bor- Bor- Boria? He had oh. a really thick accent. Have you watched that video? No, I
1: haven't.
0: Oh, anybody can look this up. It's on YouTube. And so basically, he um, he they reached out to him because the child was having nightmares, and he was wanting to go back to his um, land of. He had such a thick, like Scottish accent, so I, it was like called Morio wow. or Bonio. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm completely butchering the name of this place, but it's some island off of the off of Scotland, I believe. And uh, long and short of it is they end up flying there because he knew where this was on the island. He described the house to a T. And this is a documentary that you can look up on YouTube with the guy from University of Virginia. And the kid tells them, shows them where the house is. He's 100% correct. He describes his sister who is now like 70, 80 Uh years old. And he goes, she goes through like the, the um, album, the photo album. And, and he goes, yeah, that's my dog. That's my dog, right. Kay, you know, and uh, that's my parents. And, and my, uh, my son, he had, he had this story with the um, fireman, but he also had a story, which made me look up this story on YouTube and research this guy. Cause I was like, should I take my son here? Because he was having nightmares about another past life in Australia. And he would cry himself to sleep sometimes. And I'd say, why are you so upset? He goes, I miss my mom and dad. And I'd say, but I'm your mom. And he's like, no, from my other life in Australia. Wow. And I'd say, what's their name? He'd be like, I told you it's Mary. It was Mary and um, Fury. Fury was his dad's name.
1: You should look this up.
0: I did. I was like, do you know their last name? And he couldn't remember. And he had some, he had a sister, his, his, um, I don't remember he's he's forgotten it all now, but yeah, he yeah. would be hysterical and he'd say, I miss my dad, I miss my mom. And and I'd I'd ask him every time he was upset as if I didn't hear it, just to try to get more information. And he'd get upset with me because he'd say, I I told you <laughs> their name. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, yeah. The,
1: the other thing that interested me when I was at Duke was that you know there's various um uh, like disciplines within parapsychology, uh, remote viewing, psychokinesis, uh, healing, precognition. And for me, that was the most interesting um, because it was, Um, When I, when that woman healed me uh, or the wound in Thailand, I said, how did you learn about this stuff? And she said, one day she was like five years old and she was at a party with her family and she saw a picture uh, fall from the wall. And she said, and she screamed and said, what, blah, you know, like that big picture is falling. And it was sitting right there. And everyone looked at her like, she's crazy. And then it fell. And then she realized that she had like this window into like, 2 seconds ahead. So for me, you know, that's uh, one of the um mm-hmm. aberrations of you well like you and I could think in linear terms like past present and future. But you know, if you study Vedanta, all, all time is one. You know, linear thought is an illusion. Like my cat doesn't think, wow, that was a great lunch I had yesterday, right? Or I'm going to die in a year or you know, uh, like like w- it's only human beings that have this conception of past present and future.
0: That's and so that
1: yeah. And as I was mentioning, mentioning, um, before the, we got on, um, you know, that's what I think, uh, plant medicine, uh, people work with that because it it blows out the conception of the self and you experience, you see things from a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago or a thousand years in the future, because there's no such thing as time. Every, every reality as is already occurred in some ways. And it's a
0: Do you think you can I mean, this is something that's kind of circulating around with like the the, you know, experimentals that are kind of circulating around in humanity. And there's a lot of talk in these circles about people losing their soul or the soul leaving the body. Do you think? Yeah. And I had some wild experiences in my biofield practice with people. and I guess you could call it soul retrieval. I won't go into it today, but you know, a lot of shamans that I've spoken have witnessed this with their clients that it's not everybody, but some. And, um, and, and I've actually witnessed with some that um, certain frequencies that have to do with DNA repair, do mm-hmm. not, they ricochet, they will not be accepted in the field that actually kicks me out, which I've never had that happen before. But anyway, I digress. No, no,
1: I I think that that where we would agree is that there's not a cohesive theory on consciousness and there's not a cohesive theory on like souls. And and by the same token, if you wanna talk about god or how the universe is operating whatever you want to call it like is do we live in a beneficent or uh like a, a malignant uh, you know a universe like are we are we just um dancing bears or is uh the universe conspiring for our greatness like it's a really interesting thing yeah. like that the, the, it's like i try to when i teach meditation and and also yoga um try to meet the the students where they're at and determine what their paradigm or understanding is and then that i relate that back to authenticity because um i'm really into attachment theory and i think that we develop um an understanding i mean if you want to talk about souls you know uh, even wallace stevens wrote a poem like how we choose our parents but you know it's uh, like we, we we chose our parents because our souls needed to learn something right um and and i i think that that's a a lovely way to frame it as i put in my book you know our, our parents did the best uh, they could uh, with the tools they had at the time and you chose your parents because your soul needed to learn those things and then the healing in our society comes when our parents usually when they're dying of cancer on their deathbed say i could have done better mm but like we uh, you know I, I talk about the ebbs and flows of um parenting in our you know and um you know after world war II, you know there it's funny tom Brokaw wrote that book called the greatest generation and then whenever i see the book in the store i always think i i want i want to write underneath the greatest generation of narcissists you know like <laughs> that should be the real title of the book like yeah they put men on the moon but they were just like they were so oppressive as parents they were like they were like it's my way or the highway like like this is not a democracy like you're like children were meant to be seen and not heard like it was like and then you have a whole generation of people like um i was born in 66 and scientists went to uh, doctors went to my parents and said we have this formula that's superior to breast milk so basically everyone i know who was born in 1966 wasn't breastfed which is the most natural thing you could ever you know do in your whole life yeah. and like but we had this whole generation of kids like raised on plastic bottles and and you know you wonder why like there's such dysfunctionality in the world today
0: mm. <laughs> Well, that just brings me. I mean, we're just covering all the bases here today, which I just love it because it just makes me think about just what I'm eating right now and what you're talking about. It's like everything that we've been taught, we kind of have to relearn even the totally. you know, books, what Thanksgiving was. And I'm thinking like, I, I've had a lot of like teeth issues as my uh, curriculum. I've lost some teeth from really bad root canals and oof. burning from karma there and res- had to have gum grafting. And, you know, then I had to have three teeth pulled and it's just been like, you know, mm. ugh, the cost of a house in my mouth. And and so I started as you do when when uh, these things happen you start investigating and you start yeah. researching and you go there's got to be another way there's got to be another way and everything you've learned it's like
1: is is wrong you is should wrong. assume that everything you learned it is
0: wrong and he- yeah. Tea, yeah.
1: Tobacco. Yeah. Alcohol. And you know what I've coffee, been eating? I, 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 coffee to me and, and I, and I actually love coffee and I had two cups today, so I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not standing on some kind of high horse, yeah. but really, if you, when I did that 10 day fast in Thailand, they told me a piece of arugula at the end of the 10 days, a piece of arugula is going to taste like haagen ice cream. And if you smell coffee or wine, you'll throw up because it's poi, They're poisons.
0: Poison. It's straight line. poison. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you got to check out Jason Christoph. He's been on my podcast and he talks about that. No apologies. He actually does his whole episode on his, podcast. He does one episode. It's all about coffee and it's how all the coffee lobbyists out there, they're just being—they're like the like the pharmaceutical industry. They're just the pushers, and they're like, "No, it's gonna help you with Alzheimer's. It's gonna help you, right. you know, get and
1: no." I mean, for my understanding is that caffeine is um, a plant's natural defense mechanism, and yeah. what it does is, if a bug eats the the seed, it explodes. This caffeine in there explodes their stomachs, and I yeah. just think like <laughs> yep. that's how caffeine developed in terms of coffee beans. Like what, like why? It's such an interesting phenomenon that like you have this whole culture of like big gulps and big cups and this starbucks and like it's such an industry and it's fucking poison
0: it's poison it's in every tv show go watch a show on television on nbc if you even dare and waste want to waste your time and blow some brain cells but you know teach his own and um you know, just try sitting down for a few hours watching TV, and you tell me how many commercials or TV shows do not have in a scene a coffee cup, a coffee mug, getting a coffee, yeah. having coffee in the. It's everywhere, yeah. and he says yeah, well, hey, I, coffee I, or caffeine. It he says makes slavery groovy.
1: Right, I totally agree. Um, it's yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And and I was adding like with my teeth. So I'm kind of doing this experiment and I'm like, all right, I'm just going the other direction. So I've been studying Weston A. Price, Weston A. Price, he, his son died after he gave him a root canal. I got so sick. Yeah. And he was like, hold on, there's something going on here. And then he discovered how all the teeth are meridians. They're living, breathing organs. They're all sitting on meridians of organs, you know, major organs and needed organs for your health and well-being, and um, and so when you get, you cannot. And I'm someone who's had four root canals, and I've had them all taken out because I had, it, and I had it with um, ozone, um, um, all these technologies that apparently take out all the bacteria. But if there's no life force in there, meaning no blood supply, right. you're going to eventually. It's 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 a vacuum. It's a it's 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 a well for bacteria to just yep. thrive and dump in. And then I started getting this sort of I thought I had like Bell's palsy because I would get these mm-hmm. weird neurological problems on my face. Well, I ha- ended up having a massive cavitation in my jaw from having these root canals done three different times. I
1: know. And, no, and I, I, I the had the same I, I mean I use that example. Um, of, you know, the way we look back on like leaching and all the things um, that we believe that, that, you know, are barbaric from like the 17th century uh, medical records. Like when people look back on our culture and the the one thing they're going to look at is the barbarism of root canals, how they uh, excavate a tooth all the way through and then use this little uh, squeegee thing to rip out the nerve. Oh. And I agree with you hundred percent. Like I had, I, I have way, I have, PTSD from the two root canals that I have like it was like and I had my femur shattered and if you had to say like if you had to have your femur shattered or have another root canal I would say it's a fucking coin toss
0: oh my god that says a lot
1: it's horrifying
0: yeah well, so I'm, I'm studying at Weston A. Price and it totally goes against what I've been taught, what I've learned in being in India and being with teachers and healers and alternative medicine. And then I'm talking to my, um, my I have an integrative doctor who will be on soon and some other people that are nutritional specialists. And they're like, no, go drink raw milk. So and I, now in my brain, in my condition, right in my stories that have been in my conditioning, what's the first thing I think is like, oh God, bacteria, uh, you know? We, and what does it say on the on the box, right? It's like you know, be careful. There's these, il- you know, airborne il- or what do they call it? You know, yeah. all the bacteria. And so, you know, it's very easy for you to go. Oh, I don't know. But I gotta tell you, even after one day of drinking, like three cups of raw milk and I had some um, liver because they were saying eat organ meat. I feel like I could literally climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I am not kidding you. And I'm going, and they're saying this is some of the best the Weston a price discovered after his son died, he went on a journey. He said, people are not eating right. We have to eat like the natives. We have to eat fatty meat. Don't eat lean meat because that will lead to problems. You need the fat for your brain. And, uh, and just to your point, it's like, I'm in a place of just relearning some things of just adding things that in, in my condition, I go, Oh, I shouldn't be having raw milk. It should be. no, because I don't, I've, I don't even drink dairy. But y- people that can't drink dairy go and drink raw milk, and they heal themselves of colitis, of allergies, of all kinds of things. And then you find out that all these problems with dairy happened with pasteurization.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, and, and, and I went and going, off. going back to no, no, going back to caffeine. What I think is interesting is that if you go through the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual right. of mental disorders, like there's no definition of sanity. But if you look at all the things that we consider to be afflictions in our society, they really are things that hinder productivity. So like the goal is like to be a productive member of society in this capitalistic system. And that's why caffeine has blossomed because it supposedly keeps you alert and makes you be able to work your 10 hour day and all this stuff. But really we're gonna have to find some other way of, um, because we're all you know just poisoning ourselves every day. Like we're just, we're high. the time on sugar, caffeine, meat, and it's keeping us really in fight or flight mode with the adrenaline pumping all day. Half my patients, I would say more than that. I'd say 90% of my patients have sleep problems, including myself, like getting a full eight hours, nine hours sleep. There's a book that came out, I think last year that said like that, like that's the most, um, uh, strongly strong, it's the strongest correlate of a, uh, of life expectancy. Like if you're, if you're one of those people who sleep like three hours a night, it'll take like 30 years off of your life.
0: Yeah. I, I think I, I heard about that. So yeah, it's like, and then the, unless you have a gene where you can actually um, sleep and you only require like four or five hours where some people have this sort of special gene where they don't require. And, and I think, well, maybe that's like the, uh, you know, the um, Elon Musk's of the world or, you know, yeah. where he's like, yeah, I'm fully functioning on like six hours. I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> I had six hours last night and I'm like, wow, I could, I woke up and I go, I could sleep like five more hours, know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, you know, what a different world it would be if we just didn't have, and look, I'm, Hey, like, enjoy your life. I always say, you know, everything in balance, but just like, what would the world look like if we weren't caffeinated, right. if we weren't binging on booze, like we wake up, we have our caffeine, then you take your antidepressant, then you eat your shitty processed food, right. and then you get a ton of sugar, so you're bloated and, and salt, and, you, and you're eating- And then you, d-
1: you drive to the gym because uh, you, you drive don't-
0: drive to the gym, and then you get your denatured foods and your energy drink with all its natural flavors to just screw up your neurotransmitters even more. <laughs> and then you come home and you take a shower in your fluoridated water supply system, you know, water system. And um, yeah, and then you go you get- in
1: front of a blue screen for eight to 10 hours <laughs> and just, just like, like and you honey. wonder why you can't sleep
0: right like and then you uh, at the end of the day you got to meet up with your friends go get a cocktail or two or yeah. three or four and um and then have a late night snack of something that doesn't come right. from a farm but it comes from a factory and then but you even wonder even- why you have depression yeah,
1: yeah. Or you're, or you're wake up screaming at two o'clock in the morning or, you know, your whole right. body, your, your body can't uh, metabolize all the your things that you're putting into it. Totally. I remember awesome. there was this one comedian and he said, I'm a, um, I'm a nutritional overachiever. And it, like, it's like throwing it up against the wall, see if it sticks. Oh yeah, I'll have an apple and then I'll have this and then I'll have that. And then I'll have this and that, it, it all makes sense at the end of the day. But really, if you think about it, it's just like, you're, we're torturing our bodies consistently And then we wonder why, you know, we, they, they fail, we get cancer or or things just fall apart at some, at a certain age, which is why I was saying at 55 years old before this podcast, for me to like swim for an hour, I think is a miracle. Like for the, you know, for the way I've lived, you know, for, for me to be able to do this, it's like, you know, it's a miracle.
0: Yeah. And I would say, you were saying 90% of your Patients have sleep issues. Yeah, I'd say about ninety percent of my clients in my biofield practice have um, low-level anxiety, if yeah. not full-on anxiety, like yeah. a low-running hum. Totally. And you go, well, what's you know, what what can we, what would the world be like if we could just ameliorate that?
1: You know, it's a really interesting thing. I've been uh, asking all my friends this, like. When was the last time, like, I don't know, I, I, as I said, uh, when I grew up, like people would read books and I, it was a kind of like an enjoyable, relaxing thing. And the, since the, uh, advent of smartphones, like n- nobody I know has read a, certainly not a fiction book, but, um, you know, like even a full nonfiction book, like, it's really interesting. I, I mean, when people come in my office and they say, um, uh, yeah, I think I have ADHD. I'm like, do you know anyone who doesn't? I mean, I mean, I I, I don't, I mean, even me, when I'm trying to read a book, I'll read three or four sentences and then I'll be like, Oh, I wonder if anyone's emailing me, it could be an emergency or I make some kind of bullshit excuse and then I'll go check my phone and then I'll go back and read a couple more sentences. But it's really, if you think about our attention span and what these devices have done to it and like having 600 channels and now I have like iTunes so I can just say, Hey, blank, I don't want to say it now, or she'll start playing some music and then, you know, play this or Alexa or whoever, you know, we just have, we're, we're so overstimulated that, we. you know, it's a wonder that we can even sleep one hour.
0: It's, it's so true. I guess the, the, um I guess the, the sort of, if I'm going to kick the door open behind door number one of hope, you know, the hope is that well, we're, we're still here. And that gives us some sense of like how resilient we are, that even in the midst of all this barrage of shit, (laughs) we are still standing. We're having an intelligent conversation and we're, we're able to like get stuff done and, be sane and still seek um you know have a good life
1: well i think that the one thing that people on teen transition have learned is that our own healing will come about through being of service to others so okay. that that to me is like the greatest hope like when you when you you know uh, geek out on spirituality and go down the rabbit hole of vedanta and then understand that like We're really all connected. So there's no benefit for me stealing, you know, like trying to negotiate like a better deal for this or that, like with somebody. I mean, we really have to have a whole new conception of of reality and look at our, you know, I've been studying Foucault for a couple of years. So he analyzed systems of thought. So capitalism is a system of thought. Science is a system of thought. Religion is a system of thought. And as I said before, all systems have become corrupted. So we have to, you and I, it's up to us to devise new systems. You know, I think that if we look at, we're going to disagree on this, which is fine with me, but I think that the, the deficits of religion, if you look at the crusades and all the pedophilia and whatnot outweigh the benefits. And I think that we're going to an age where, um, also, um, you know, there's no more gurus. Like we're understanding that like, you're your best teacher. I'm my best teacher. So, um, I need to tune in to what the universe is telling me instead of standing in a pew somewhere on Sunday morning, praying that somebody else helps me. Yeah. um, So, uh, you know, these systems, uh, whether it's the pharmaceutical companies or for me, what's really interesting is the educational system, because um, I have a lot of friends in France who are becoming psychotherapists and psychologists and whatnot. And they always laugh at us because it's so expensive and it's not a it's not a great um, investment in terms of graduate degrees like we have. It's a good investment. I mean, you'll make more in the long run if you get a, a bachelor's degree. But now even those are becoming more. More and more uh, specific in terms of like, oh, I'm going to school for coding. Whereas for me, it's just like I want to say, you, you know, like I I, 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 did a lecture at UCLA for um psycho- for potential uh, psychotherapists, and they said, what should we study if we want to be great psychotherapists? And I said, you should study Shakespeare. <laughs> like you'll learn more about psychology in Shakespeare than you will in any psychology book.
0: <laughs> oh God, that's so awesome! Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I. I... I get it. I mean, Shakespeare, man, have you ever read anything from Shakespeare that you either didn't love or that you didn't get because it was so profound that you're like, hold on, I need a translator. <laughs> I know
1: but yeah and, and thankfully we have all those people because there's been 400 years of scholars going through it because I don't I you know I haven't even gone through the entire Shakespearean canon and I try uh, often to look at like um, new versions of plays and things but it's it's so dense he created so much of our language you know and it's so interesting uh, when you study the way he's he they're called neologisms uh, making up words or um, you know just phrases you know I always say from Hamlet like instead of you can just say oh well why are you doing that and I'll say to what end like (laughs) and I like and I I just think it's funny you know instead of you because he created that so (laughs)
0: Uh, I'm gonna have to go and look up all the greatest Shakespearean quotes and just kind of drop bombs you know, periodically throughout the day. The
1: funny thing is, is that we're 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 doing it in our natural uh, parlance. Like we like he really created so much of our language that that we we're quoting him all the time without knowing it.
0: Mm. Well, Ira Israel, we've had about two hours of freaking fun here. I I, I could I and mean, we, we could, could go keep on talking. Forever, we could no? keep talking. I know. There's there's so much that we didn't cover, but it was meant to be the laws of probability were not in our favor to cover those today. Correct. Yeah. Well, all your information's in the show notes. Um, what can you leave us with, with this wild and wacky world of benevolence and perhaps not so much benevolence? Well, Um, what can we do?
1: The only thing I've learned of note in my, uh, travels is, um, you know, just, It's in your best interest to show up as your highest self, um, particularly if you believe in karma and really just try to leave the world a better place than you found it. Um, and through, you know, just helping other people who are not as fortunate to have, you know, like to know where their next meal is coming from or to have a roof over their heads. Or one of my students started this um, foundation. I didn't even know this, but there's a billion people on the planet who don't have sufficient eye care. So she gets people to do, I think it's, it's called voluntourism, and she trains them how to give um, eye tests to like kids in Nepal. And then she has this other um, wing that gets them glasses. Yeah. And so, you know, like you and I, like the things that we take for granted, like clean water, like what percentage of the planet Earth has clean water, you know? Um, and just, the, again, the ability for for me, like the one of the funniest things in America, and I'll probably get a lot of flack for this, is Chipotle, like for me to be able to get a, a non-gmo um thing for seven or eight dollars made right there, it's like I'm like, this is astonishing. like this is like the height of capitalism. I don't care about people going to the moon. like I think that like Chipotle <laughs> represents it's so tasty. I, I shouldn't be doing an advertisement for them because it's probably a terrible thing Bring and out of probably- them. <laughs> no, no, no! But it's like rare. It's such an interesting phenomenon to be able to go there and they've accumulated all these non-GMO ingredients and they make it for you there, fresh for such a ridiculously cheap price. It's shocking, really. If you, if you brought someone from a third world company, a third that's world true. country, that's true, to Chipotle, they would just fall over crying. There,
0: <laughs> that's true. I mean, Chipotle could help with the. Uh issue of any place where there's malnourishment. I mean, come on, you got all your four food groups at Chipotle. So.
1: Fantastic. Really? That we get to like, you and I could call one of these companies and they just bring us things. And it's first, it's ridiculous the the privileges and the luxuries and okay. yet, the 100 million prescriptions for antidepressants were written in America last year. Uh, when I say last year, I mean, before COVID, I don't even know how many since COVID, but 22 million Americans woke up this morning and took, took an antidepressant. And yet, you know, for me, you know, like just the miracle of me being able to go to a pool and swim at 12 o'clock and then go to Chipotle and get this amazing <laughs> meal enough for six people for $8. Like, like we live in this incredible society and we we really have to um, you know replace the um, the greed uh, and all the corporate uh, terribleness and the corrupted systems with just more compassionate, beneficent uh, ways of uh, interacting.
0: Well said, well said. And in my years at the British American Drama Academy, studying Shakespeare, as Shakespeare would say, "Ah, the web of our life." Is but a mingled yarn, good and ill together. Correct. And curtain. Well, thank you so much, Ira. This has been such a great jam session with you, and thank you for everything. And thank you. And uh, I just look forward to learning more about your work, and um, I'm gonna grab you one day and take you skydiving.
1: Let's do that. <laughs>
0: guys thanks for checking out the spiritual geek out podcast if you like what you're hearing here check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com